This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, it seems only appropriate as we commence this ordinary time. So we're at the very beginning of this ordinary rhythm of the church's uh, readings. We're brought once again back to the beginning. Once again, we revisit the earliest days of Jesus' ministry. And I know we've heard these stories a thousand times. Okay, just as teams, as they prepare for the season, go back to the basics. They go back to the fundamentals. I was reading a book recently of uh, Jack Nicholas, and Nicholas said even at the height of his powers, when he was the best golfer in the world, every season he would go back to his teacher and say, uh, treat me as a beginner. Pretend I'm a beginner and just take me right through the fundamental moves. Well, something of that goes on in the spiritual order too. The church brings us back to these basic moves. Well, we know that Jesus had revealed himself by the Jordan, accepting the baptism of John. And then he prepared himself for 40 days and nights in the desert, doing battle even with the devil himself. But then he hears that John had been arrested by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of the Herod who had threatened Jesus as a baby. Here's a first insight now, fascinating. One would think that he would move away from this new and dangerous Herod, the one who had imprisoned John. But instead we hear, listen, he headed directly for Herod's territory, for Galilee, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. He's not running. This is a warrior who is ready to fight. In accord now, we hear this in the first reading, in accord with the prophecy from Isaiah, he invades this land of darkness. And it was a land of darkness in his time, ruled by Herod Antipas. He invades it with his own light. We hear that he teaches and preaches and heals all through Galilee, precisely in this area where he is most under threat. That's where great Christian saints, great followers of Jesus have always gone into the dark places. They invade it with the light. And now we hear, in Matthew's version, the opening words of Jesus preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once again, we're being asked to consider this great question. What is the kingdom? Of course, it's better to ask, who is the kingdom? For it refers finally to Jesus himself. What's at hand? He's at hand. What's the light shining in the darkness? He's the light shining in the darkness. Origin of Alexandria, that great church father, called Jesus the autobasileia. That's Greek for the kingdom in person. 
That's wonderful, I think. It's a great interpretive key. Whenever you hear that word kingdom, you're talking finally about him. He's the kingdom in person. Jesus is himself the rightly constituted Israel. Jesus is himself the coming together of divinity and humanity. Jesus is himself the invasion of nature by the supernatural. He's the kingdom. He's the light. And so what he's saying here is, wake up. See, wake up and get it. See it. Respond to it. Repent. And I've talked about this before with you, I know, but the Greek there is metanoiate. Change your mind. Change your mind. Wake up. Turn around. See things in a new way. His preaching is like a thunderclap. It's like a fire bell in the night. It's like the crowing of a rooster announcing the dawn. It's like a summons to battle. Well, that's the preaching of the church down through the ages to the present day. It's nothing but a repetition of that great original clarion call. One of the problems we face today, I think, is that Jesus seems kind of old hat. Oh, sure, that familiar figure, Jesus. He's permanently unfamiliar. He's permanently strange, permanently disturbing. That's why we got to wake up, repent, turn around in order to see him. How wonderful now that we hear of the first people who do respond to him. While he's walking along the shore of the beautiful Sea of Galilee, he spies two brothers, Peter and Andrew, casting their nets into the sea. He says, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Friends, there's so much of spiritual moment in that little line. Notice, first of all, he doesn't say, I have some new insights for you. Or, there's so much I can teach you. Or, follow my path. All things we could imagine gurus and teachers and spiritual masters saying. But instead he says, follow me. And the sense here, it's kind of in the Jewish sensibility, is to walk behind me. To imitate me to apprentice to me. The whole pith and substance of the Christian life is to walk after Jesus, is to fall in love with him, to turn one's life over to him. See, it's not a system of belief primarily. That develops, and that's important. But primarily, it's a friendship with a person. Christianity is like falling in love. That's why can you catch it in this sort of story? What you got here are people who are falling in love with him. People who fall in love at first sight. You know, when it is like a thunderclap, you meet someone and you know that person is just my everything. He or she is my life. Do you know? That's what's being described here. And it's very appropriate to the Christian thing. One falls in love with Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, see, once you fall in love with Jesus, you'll want to do what he does. It's like the kid coming to the uh, great master to apprentice to him. Well, he watches him, he lives with him, he moves in with him, catches the rhythms of his life, and he wants to do what the master does. That's the whole point of it. 
And so these first followers, they want to do what he does, namely to fish people out of the darkness. Come, and I will make you fishers of men. See, what's Jesus doing? He's invading that land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali. He's invading that land of Herod Antipas, that land of Galilee, the place of darkness. And he's there to fish people up out of it, to fish them up out of hatred and violence and self-reproach and, and guilt. And he wants to get them out of that world into his own wonderful light. And so those who fall in love with him are going to feel the call to do the same thing. You know, it's a high paradox. But at the heart of the Christian life is not so much a personal spiritual experience. I'm getting my spirituality worked out. But rather a commitment to mission. We will find our joy, our spiritual purpose, precisely in bringing others to Christ. See, in doing what he does. There's the paradox. Is precisely by forgetting about my own spirituality and doing what he does, trying to bring people to him, that I will in fact be elevated. That's why when Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, he means I've got to become an ardent fisher of men, which is exactly what Paul was, right? That's all Paul did. That's because he had fallen in love with Christ. And because Christ was living in him, Paul became conformed to him as a fisher of men. You know the experience, this is true now outside of the religious context. It's true artistically, musically, interpersonally. When you found something or someone that you hold to be beautiful, you want all the world to know about it, don't you? And your joy grows the more you can spread it around. That's the way it goes with music, with art, with a person, whatever. You say, I want everyone to know about this. Well, that's now the stance of the apostles who are, are becoming fishers of men. We hear then that Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. Walking along a bit further, Jesus spies two more brothers, James and John, and he calls them too. And just like the other two, James and John, here's the quote, left their boat and their father and followed him. What was it? that led to this immediate and total dedication. Well, sometimes you just know. Sometimes you just know this is what my life is about. You know, I'm reading right now a really good book, I think, though it's maybe not for everybody, but uh, Keith Richards' autobiography. Keith Richards is the um, lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones, an old rocker. He's been around for ages. But he's written a surprisingly good book. And as is the case with all biographies and autobiographies, I always find the stories of, of youth and childhood the most interesting. Is as people are coming of age, you know, what's grabbing them? We know what it was for Keith Richards. The minute he heard Chicago blues music. Now, he's a kid growing up in the east suburbs of London. And he hears... Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Chuck Berry, these early blues and rock figures. He knew, though he was thousands of miles away across an ocean, though he was, he was a whole different culture, he knew that's what I want to do. And he gave himself to it with, in his words, 
a Benedictine dedication. That's terrific. Here's young Keith Richards. Like a monk, he's saying, learning these songs, teaching himself the guitar, how to play this music. He left everything and followed that music. Now, there's something similar going on here, I think, with the first disciples. They were so fascinated by the spirit that was in Jesus. They knew they had to abandon everything and go after him. Notice, they leave behind nets, boats, and father. What does that mean? It means livelihood. It means economic security and even family. They left it all. Now, I know it's a theme I emphasize a lot, but the relationship with Christ cannot be one preoccupation among many. It can't be a hobby or a sidelight. It has to be everything. It's got to be your work day and your Sabbath rest. It has to be the all-determining value. Now, mind you, all those things I mentioned, they're all good, and they all have their place, but they're all secondary compared to one's relationship to Christ. See, that's what the first disciples felt. And that, I think, is very close to the heart of, of the Christian life for all of us. If work or wealth or success or family come first, I know it's blunt to put it this way, but if any of those things comes first, the rest of your life will be off kilter. The conviction of the gospel writers, I think, is that unless and until you find Christ at the center, unless and until you're ready to give everything up and follow him, you haven't yet begun to live. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.